Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Really amazing guest for you this week. Let me give you a little backstory of exactly why I invited this particular person on. I am just like everyone else and, and find myself looking at all kinds of YouTube videos that I didn't necessarily expect to be looking at when I, I first go on YouTube, kind of go down that rabbit hole. Well, one particular day, about six months ago, I went down the rabbit hole of looking at the culture behind Hasidic Jews. Now, those are the ones, if you, you know, aren't familiar, most of them preside in New York City. They're the ones that, you know, dress in the kind of the suit jackets and have the, the curls. You can probably see in the, the profile picture, uh, Shlomi, which is who I'm interviewing, and kind of his, his look. Uh, but they're ultra-Orthodox Jews. They follow a, a very interesting religion. And I was watching some uh, videos by Peter Santanello. Definitely recommend checking him out if you if you haven't before. He really he goes all over the world and, and interviews people that are are in cultures and and maybe in countries that people don't know a lot about. So he did a whole series with with Shlomi um, about Orthodox Judaism, what it means, what it is, how they practice. He does, like I say, he does them all over. He's currently doing one um, with Amish. He was in Saudi Arabia. Just really, really well done, amazing videos. But I just was taken by watching the world of Orthodox Jews, the world of Hasidic Jews, right in the, the heart of New York City, this kind of totally different type of people who don't have TVs. Most don't have cell phones, and if they do, they don't have internet on them. Most, you know, go to a synagogue almost every day. I, everyone's very different, so I don't want to necessarily say anyone does the exact same thing. Shlomi's going to talk about that a lot, but I just wanted to kind of uh, bring somebody on who is living a, a very different life here in America. You know, in in New York City, living a very different life than than the average New Yorker. I think it's just a, an amazing world really it, it's such an interesting thing now i do have to say there is you know quite a bit of of uh those who criticize it uh, there's several netflix specials that are talking about it and people being ostracized when they leave and you know domestic abuse we're going to cover all that he's going to kind of address that so you know there's there's bad in, in everything um you know again i'm not here to to really decide if if you know the the hole is bad or if it's just some some bad eggs because that's certainly the case in in a lot of things too um, but we do address that but I, I we do spend most of the time talking about exactly what it means to be a Hasidic Jew and uh, and the good parts too because there's definitely a lot of, of great things uh, just a disclaimer it is very orthodox it's very conservative traditional so I, I just want to just obviously let everyone know again like I, I do anytime we have anyone that's even remotely controversial on that my goal and my job in this podcast is to 
present you with people that are doing interesting things, living an interesting life. It's not to change anyone's mind. It's not to tell you what my opinion is. Definitely some interesting opinions here when it comes to quite a few things. The evils of, of modern technology and and especially um, some of the thoughts behind women and separation of men, men and women and whether that is, should happen or not. You know, I obviously I'm a, a modern person and a modern thinker, so I, I don't know necessarily about that. I, I think that I, I always try not to really give my opinion, but I, I think I will, you know, with this and say I don't know if I necessarily agree with that at all. But it was interesting to hear his, his thoughts behind it and uh, what I say is, you know, what works for the community as long as it's working for for him, for his wife, and for everyone who is a part of it, then who am I to, to say anything different? But, uh, yeah, just take all of this as, as a learning experience, as someone who's a really amazing guy doing some amazing things, and, uh, you know, it, none of it is... Uh, is saying that that's my beliefs and none of it's saying that you know that it, it's not either we're, we're here to present it and not here to slam it um or to to put it on a pedestal but now that's out of the way i really do think you're going to enjoy this just an amazing guy and hasidic judaism is just a really interesting thing that we don't know a lot about so it's the point of this podcast so without further ado here is my interview with shlomi zions I'm here today with Slomi Zion. Slomi, how are you? Good, thank God. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I guess be, before we start and before we talk about, you know, the, the main topic, I always ask kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself, whether we're going to go all the way back to, to growing up or whether we're just going to talk about what you're doing now. But tell us just a little bit about yourself before we kind of get to, to why you're on. Sure. So my name is Shlomi Zions. I'm 27 years old. I'm a Hasidic Jew, which means that I follow a very conservative form of Orthodox Judaism. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, raised in Toronto, Canada, and I currently work as a journalist slash content creator. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel with a nice size following, writing in a, in a magazine for Orthodox Jews. And I travel all over the world, bringing stories that would bring... Uh, that, that my audience would find interesting. And that's, I, I haven't heard a ton about you know, your career in, I guess, writing. So, so what exactly, you said is that it's a magazine for Orthodox Jews, but what exactly, is it a lifestyle magazine or is it kind of just a little bit of everything? Is it hard news or what exactly is it? So there's news, there's editorial sections, there are religious sections. Um, I sort of run the travel part of it. Um, there's a kid's version of the magazine. There's a food version of the magazine. There's a ladies version of the magazine. It's really, it's sort of like a family magazine for Orthodox Jews. Yeah. And you said you run the travel part of it. You know, I've heard in other interviews and other things you've done, you've, you've been to what, 40 plus countries. I don't know whether it's all for the magazine, but you, you're certainly well-traveled. Thank God I've had the opportunity to travel to many, uh, cool and interesting places. Um, it hasn't all been for the magazine, meaning I was doing what I do before I was working for the magazine, but a lot of the travel has been for the magazine. And the magazine, by the way, is called Ami Magazine. 
Yeah, and in some of the videos on your channel, because I have watched them, it is interesting just to see the world, not just the world, but from your perspective, which is kind of a, a different perspective than, I guess, probably a lot of people that are watching YouTube videos. So I, I've enjoyed um, you know, your videos where you're in more Arab countries where it's, it's very, very different. Um, so it, it, it is a, it's a really insightful take on, on uh, travel. I, I really do enjoy it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think the idea of a Hasidic Jew in traditional dress, uh, you know, walking through the Arab world and interacting with local people is a very interesting thing that people do enjoy. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's kind of get into, you know, speaking about Hasidic Judaism um, and just, you know, before I, I ask questions that I have, just kind of tell me what it means to you to, to be a Hasidic Jew. Okay, so Hasidic Judaism is basically a movement that was started probably a little bit under 300 years ago. Um, there was a rabbi named Yisrael Baal Shem Tov who came to the conclusion that Judaism was getting a little bit dry and unexciting. Uh, many young Jewish people were, were leaving the religion or, or joining other versions of the religion that were very watered down, such as Reform Judaism and uh, people became communists. There was a lot of things going on, a lot of different intellectual movements that were going on that people were leaving the religion for. And this rabbi decided to spice things up by starting Hasidic Judaism, which is a movement uh, centered around serving God with all of your heart and all of your soul with joy and love. And I'm very, very happy to be a Hasidic Jew. Tell, tell me just a little bit about, because you, you mentioned in almost all your interviews about how, you know, the community and for, for good reasons, I think, but they are relatively closed off. So how does, how does, I guess the community, how have they taken definitely in the past year, you being basically so open and out there talking about it, or have they looked at it as a positive that, you know, some of uh, somebody, you know, one of their own is kind of talking about, you know, the culture or are they upset, I guess, that you're, you're putting it all out there. So just for a little bit of um, insight for your listeners, uh, the, the Hasidic community is very often considered closed off because we have our own, uh, our own educational institutions. We have our own food. We, have, we sort of live our entire lives within the community, and, and many people don't interact with the outer world. That's not because they have uh, something against the people of the outside world. It's just that um, many of us are descendants of Holocaust survivors and we are educating our children in a way that we want to try to keep them uh, sort of on a traditional path. So very often that involves sort of sticking to within your community. Um, you know, also there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world, which contributes to people being afraid of the outside world. So we are considered a, a closed off community. However, we, we do interact with the outside world. We pay taxes. We, we do whatever any other American citizen does in, in respect to the government. When it comes to community, especially the Hasidic Jews living in Brooklyn, New York, or in Lakewood, New Jersey, or in Munson, New York, or in certain parts of the country where there's a high concentration of Hasidic Jews, it, uh, yeah, we, we sort of do stick to, with, to being within the community. Now, as for how my community has reacted to my going out there and going out on YouTube and doing all the stuff, in the beginning, people were a little bit skeptical. Um, I think they didn't understand what I was trying to do. But as time has progressed, they are seeing that I'm only trying to build bridges between my community and other communities. 
And uh, thank God there's a lot of appreciation for it in my community. Yeah, I do think, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say that it takes a lot of courage or, or guts. I don't want to say that, but you know, you talked about anti, you know, anti-Semitics and things like that. And it, it is pretty easy to tell, you know, uh, somebody who does practice, you know, this certain form of Judaism because, um, you know, there is a certain dress. So tell us just a little bit about the, the dress, both for men and women. Yeah. So the dress uh, for men was a little bit more defined. As a general rule, Hasidic Jews usually wear black and white colors. So it would be like a long or short black suit, white shirt, black pants, usually a black skull cap and a black hat. Um, most of them also have beards. A lot of them have curly side locks like I do. So that's the dress which uh, easily defines us, as you'd see us on the street. As for women, it's, it's more... Um, Every woman sort of chooses exactly how they want to dress. There aren't, there aren't really any color guidelines or stuff like that. But as a general rule, the women try to dress very modestly. They don't want to attract uh, the attention of men. Yeah. So let's let's talk just a little bit about you know that that dress. You know, obviously you've you've lived your whole life doing you know dressing that way. But it does it does sometimes. You talked about you know you don't want to draw attention of of other people. But I do think having that different dress sometimes does draw attention. So how, I mean, how have you, you dealt with that? I think all of us, it, sometimes it's easy, it's easy for, you know, the, the normal common person, I don't want to say normal, the common person just to kind of fade into the background. That's not as easy when you're, you're dressing in a certain way. So how, how have you managed, I guess, kind of the, the stairs? I think we all can kind of learn from that. Sure. So, uh, Definitely what you're saying. Yeah, there's definitely a point to that. So um, in the outside world, if I stepped out wearing my traditional dress, I definitely am attracting attention to myself. And I've had my fair share of getting pointed at, steered at, laughed at, at airports or wherever it may be. People sometimes say nice things. Uh, unfortunately, more often than not, they say not nice things. And it's, it's just something I've gotten used to. It doesn't bother me per se, but I, I'm sure other people have a harder time, uh, harder time dealing with it. But within the community, that doesn't attract attention at all because you're just one of the, you know, it's like where's Waldo almost. We all, we all wear in the same stuff. So uh, yeah. there is there's no element of attracting attention within the community when you're wearing that dress. So you, you, you mentioned the, the curls is, is what you call it. You know, we didn't, I, I tried to make sure I had the words correct in the, in the beginning, the important ones, but I also wanted to make sure I kind of butchered a few too. So you could tell me, uh, I believe it's called payas. Is that what they're called? Totally nailed it. There we go. Well, there's a few more, so don't give me credit yet, but, uh, tell us just a little bit about why that's the case. I mean, I think that's the most distinguishing feature. Um, you know, when you, when you see someone in the community with those, those curls, basically, I don't know whether they're, they're, you know, just longer sideburns or exactly, but what is, what's the, the story behind that? Yeah. So payas are the, the side curls that I have. They are sort of like, it's connected to the sideburns. It also goes a little bit above the sideburns. Um, there are many reasons. There are logical reasons. There are mystical reasons. And one of the things is that um, at a certain point in time, there were people from other religions who were sort of, um, they'd shave the sides of their heads, but they'd leave here on top. There was this, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what you would call it, it, it's sort of maybe a decree or a commandment or a custom to grow the sides of your head so we should be different than those people. There's also an aspect um, which I spoke to Peter Santanello about, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he, we did a YouTube series together 
that has gotten many, many uh, dozens of millions of views. And there is a certain aspect of, of it representing charity, but that's a very long and deep mystical discussion. So basically, these, these side curls definitely make us stand out within the outside world. No, I, I definitely have watched those videos. I was, I, I guess I was kind of entranced by, by those, those videos. So very, very, very good. I definitely recommend people looking at that. And we'll, I'll ask you a few questions about that later. But tell us just a little bit about uh, you know, the relationship with the outside Jewish world, not just you know, the outside world, um, outside of the religion completely. Um, but you, you, know, you talked about there was a breakaway because you didn't think that, that some of the other, um, I guess, sects were, were necessarily doing the, what they should be. So what is the relationship now with the modern day Jew? Because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of difference and there's some that are, you know, aren't even practicing at all. Right. So uh, number one, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call them other sects or Jews who shouldn't do what they should be. I believe that every Jew sure. is Jewish and that, that does not and will not change. Um, we do believe, however, at the same time, that it is important for a Jew to live by the teachings of the Torah, which is our holy book. Um, I don't look down upon somebody who does not uh, follow the teachings of this holy book, but I personally try very hard to follow the teachings, and I want to pass that on to my children as well. So the relationship between Jews who are living by the book and Jews who are not living by the book, it can be, uh, it can be strained, unfortunately, on, on both ends, meaning there are people who don't follow the book, and they're like, why are you guys following this old, you know, 3,000-year-old book? And then you have people who are religious, and like, why are you guys not following? Um, for the most part... I think things are peaceful. I try very hard to be a promoter of peace and understanding. It's, I'm not anybody's policeman. It's not my job to force anybody to do anything. I do my thing. You do your thing. And I believe that uh, that's the best way for us all to get along. And at the same time, if I, if I, you know, I'm getting messages every single day from Jewish people and non-Jewish people alike who want to learn about my religion, and I'm happy to teach them if they, if they reach out to me in that. Yeah. And if, if I, you know, listening to some of, some of your other talks, if I, if I heard correctly, you guys don't try to convert anyone, correct? We try not to convert anyone. That's correct. Try not to. Okay. So do now you, there's, there's an exception, meaning if we, we do have this aspect that we believe that somebody who is Jewish, um, this is their heritage. So we wouldn't try to convert them, but we would try to, to share the teachings if they were open to that. But we're, but somebody who's not Jewish, this is not their heritage. And we're not, we're not, we're not trying to convert them. So when you say not trying that that's, and that's kind of what leads into my next question, because I've talked to, you know, people who I guess have, I, I don't even know the, the, the correct term, but more modern looks at, um, you know, a, the Jewish faith, there's kind of the, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the right words, but just kind of a modern take on it where, where even they don't necessarily try to convert people who aren't already Jewish. It's really actually hard to prove that you should, you know, join the, the Jewish faith. So my question would be, is it even possible for someone who was not Jewish from birth to ever even get to, you know, the Hasidic faith? So uh, it's definitely possible. Anybody can join technically, but it's not an easy process. As, uh, as you may or may not know, there are 613 commandments that God gave us in the Torah, and a lot of them are not easy to follow. So if you weren't born into it, most uh, sane people would not sign up for that voluntarily. 
And uh, that is why most people don't try to convert. And whoever does try to convert eventually gets discouraged and moves on because it's a very serious, rigorous religion. And um, if, if someone's full heart and soul is not in it, then it's just not going to work out. So on the other side of things, you know, you said that you, you use the word that, you know, no sane person would necessarily sign up for following all that if they weren't born, born into it. What on the other side of things, what if someone who was born into it thinks the same thing and that they're not, they're not necessarily into following all of it? How easy is it to, to leave the religion? So, I mean, it's really just like an honor system, right? Nobody's, again, maybe there are exceptions, but I don't think it's healthy for anybody to be anybody else's policeman. So religion is something for every person to decide for themselves, whether they want it or not, how much they want to be involved in it or not. Um, so how easy is it for someone to leave the religion? Anyone can do whatever they want. If, they, if somebody feels uncomfortable or doesn't want to do it anymore, they can pick themselves up and go. It doesn't mean they need to leave their family. doesn't mean they need to leave the place they're living in. Although sometimes it can become uncomfortable if you're the only person in a one mile radius not keeping the religion. And, you know, on the Sabbath, people are not using electricity and you're driving around in your convertible, uh, then you would feel uncomfortable and you probably might leave the, the neighborhood. So it really, it really is up to, up to the person making those decisions. I know there are people who have left and they've been put in uncomfortable situations by their families or communities which once again, I don't think is healthy. I think it's an individual choice that every person has to make, but uh, it's, it's really an honor system. It's up to you. You can do whatever you want with your life. I don't, I don't you know, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with, with all my words, but uh, about the restrictions or the, I guess the sacrifices, maybe that's a better word that are being made on the Sabbath. Cause that's something that really shocked me in watching Peter's videos. Sure. So, I mean, the Sabbath is, is our day of rest. Uh, we believe that God created the world in six days. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and on the seventh day, he rested. We believe that holiness means trying to emulate God. So God wants us to rest on the seventh day, which is Saturday. So basically, uh, another thing is that in Judaism, the day starts when the sun goes down. So you wouldn't, like not at 12 a.m., it's really when, when the sun goes down. So basically at Friday night, when the sun goes down, that turns into our Saturday. And from there on, 24 hours, um, we won't utilize electricity in the sense that we won't operate electricity. So if a light is already on, it stays on. If a light is off, it stays off. We won't cook. We won't drive. We won't watch TV, even though most of us do not have TVs. No using of the telephone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are allowed to flush the toilet um, because it's not electronic. So it's... It, what happens is, you know, it sounds like it's a lot of restrictions, but it's really, really not a big deal. What basically forces you to do is prepare everything in advance before sundown, and then things just run on autopilot. So we have this custom to eat a beef stew on Saturday morning uh, or afternoon. So you put it in a crock pot before the Sabbath, it cooks all night, and uh, it's ready the next morning. You're not actually turning anything on or off. A lot of people will put their lights on a timer. So let's say you're in the dining room at midnight, the lights will go off. You go to sleep. It's just it's just a matter of setting things up in a way that is compatible with the Sabbath. Um, it sounds very restrictive if, if you're first hearing about it, but it's kind of awesome. We have a forced, God forbid, I shouldn't say forced because once again, it's everybody's choice. But basically, if you're a follower of this religion, then you're basically, you know that every single week you're having a vacation no matter what. There's no working on the Sabbath. So 
Friday afternoon comes, you put away your phone, you get a detox for social media, spend time with family and friends, eat, drink, and be merry. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what the video showed, you know, for those who would look at this and think it's, it's, it's kind of out there, which I, I think the bulk people kind of would, if you're thinking about, you know, the, the lights and things like that, but what the video showed, which was what I thought was really cool was it does, you know, allow you to just find time to, to sit around and talk to your family and have a good time. So it wasn't like everyone was just, you know, sitting there and I, I, I mean, for, for lack of a better word, you know, just reading their, their Torah, they were having a great time and, and speaking to each other. So I, I think it was kind of a, a cool thing. I don't know whether I could do it every week, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a cool opportunity for sure. Absolutely. You know, we live in a, we currently live in a very fast paced world and things are moving really fast. I was just telling my wife the other day, things like in my life, I've gotten so busy now. I feel like I'm on a, on a merry-go-round that just keeps spinning faster and faster and faster and I can never get off. Well, Sabbath comes around, I get off. It's, it's basically, it's just so amazing to have this break and to focus on what's important at least once a week, because as you know, many of us are overachievers and we try to always be busy. We don't get enough sleep and we're always trying a, a new hustle and whatever. And then God is like, dude, you need a break. And then that's what it's all about. So here, here's me trying to trying one more of these words. And the one, this one, this is probably what blows my mind the most, um, which is the Aruv. Is that correct? Oh, sure. Yeah. Very, very good. Okay. So uh, let's do the Aruv. So we have a uh, prohibition from carrying things from a private domain to a public domain, meaning that on the Sabbath, if I wanted to take a bag of food from my home and drop it off at like a park somewhere, my home is a private domain, the park is a public domain. Don't get me started on why this, why this is a prohibition or whatever. I'm not, I'm not a rabbi yet. I couldn't tell you. But basically, I, I would not be allowed to do that on the Sabbath. And I think that also has to do with minimizing people working. So no carrying heavy things. Um, you also, there's a, you're not supposed to sweat on the Sabbath. Um, you're supposed to relax. So anyhow, um, there's this prohibition. But let's say you wanted to take your baby out for a walk in the baby stroller. According to Halacha, which is the Jewish law, pushing the stroller would also be considered carrying. So now this thing that's supposed to make me rest has turned into a burden for me because I can't even take my kid to the park. So the rabbis came up with a, shall we say, a legal, a legal Jewish loophole, which is that if you sort of um, erect a, a thin string or wire that uh, surrounds a town or surrounds a neighborhood, you're sort of turning it all into a private domain. Everything that's enclosed within the wire becomes a private domain. And then in a legal Jewish sense, you can carry from one place to another uh, during the Sabbath. So th that is called that wire, that stream is called the Erev. And almost every single Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish community anywhere in the world has built one for themselves. Yeah. And, the, and there's one that encircles a good chunk of Brooklyn, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I was reading about how, you know, there's rabbis that, you know, before the the Sabbath every, every week travels all the way around it and makes sure that it's, it's uh, I guess, intact, in which is, is an interesting thing for sure. You know, I, I like the, that you use the word loophole because that, I mean, to the outsider, that does just seem like a, just a major loophole for the, for the, you know, the, the practice. So 
So when we're talking about potential kind of loopholes that, that seems one other that I, I noticed, you, know, you talked about women in modesty. Um, and I think that a lot of times means that the women within your religion don't show their hair. What seems Correct. to be kind of a, a loophole is that a lot of them wear wigs, which is kind of hair too. So talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, so I've been asked about that one a few times in the past. And to be honest, I don't understand it myself. It's a very good question, meaning you're not supposed to show you hair. Why are you covering your hair with hair? But once again, according to most rabbis who are, who are experts and scholars in Jewish law, they say if it's not your own hair and it's covering your hair, it's fine. Well, it's, it's sort of just like to build healthy boundaries in the community. I, I've been talking about this a lot as well recently that, you know, as you can see in today's day and age, there are many different issues that are coming up between uh, men and women, specifically in issues of, of sexual harassment, etc. And I think our rabbis had great foresight many hundreds and even thousands of years ago to avoid these things. Yes, we live our lives very differently. There isn't much mingling between men and women. I understand for some people that feels restrictive or whatever, but we're all married. So there's like, it's not like we don't get into relationships. We do. And um, we've avoided a lot of these gender issues through our way of staying separate, which whether you like it or not is, is I think has helped our community in, in a very healthy way. And, and that, that does kind of get into the, the next issue, which is probably not a good one for, for either one of us to really talk too much about as two men. Well, but... Let's go into it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, as two men, it is, you know, whether, you know, in criticism that I've seen, it is in whether women do feel, I guess, kind of uh, oppressed, so to speak. And I, you know, based off the Peter Santinello YouTube video and, and you know, him talking to, to several, you know, women within the community, that was not the case. But talk a little bit about that, because I do think with every criticism, whether it's true or not, there's always two sides and there's always an ounce of truth to, to, to everything. Sure. So as you said, and now I understand why you were saying it, it might not be the best thing for us to discuss it because we are men. So I can't speak for any woman to tell you whether they do or don't feel oppressed. What I can tell you is that the women in my life do not feel oppressed. Um, they're very happy with the way they are. And if my wife was here, I'd be happy to bring her on. She's not, she's not in my office right now. But uh, to, to talk about whether she feels or doesn't feel oppressed. Um, what I think what you're talking about is, is the sense that the rabbis are, are men and, and a lot of the um, communal functions are run by men. Um, this isn't a misogynistic thing. This is simple recognition of reality that men and women are different. We are not the same. We have different qualities. We have different strengths. And we believe that men should do certain things and women should do certain things. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's simple recognition of reality that we have different strengths and weaknesses and we should focus on what we can do best. Therefore I can, you know, sometimes my wife wants to go out with her sister and they'll go get uh, their nails done and go shopping and go out to, to eat or whatever. There's no way I'm going to do as good of a job as she does taking care of the kids while she's gone. It's just not going to happen. I'm a man. I'm not a mother. I don't have a motherly, motherly nature. She does that job better. So it's just a recognition of reality that certain things cannot be changed and they will do certain things better and men will do certain things better. I think that's, that's what it comes down to. 
Well, uh, yeah, and and I don't make opinions. I don't. Ne- I'm not necessarily going to touch that particular part of it. But what I will ask you, um, just again, kind of in that vein, is you know when we're trying to figure out the difference between between men and women in the in the religion, are obviously men are pursuing careers. Are women allowed to pursue careers as well? Absolutely. Uh, many, many, many women have uh, really, really, shall I say, excelled in careers. We have women who are lawyers, doctors, and any other profession you can think of, as long as it's not in conflict with uh, Orthodox Jewish law. As a general rule, most women are homemakers and mothers by their own choice, by the way. And um, so many of them choose not to pursue careers, but if it's open to anybody who's interested in doing so, some people even balance both. So I, I know women who have like close to 10 children and they're also professionals. So it really depends on the person. I, I One of the things I try to bring out as often as possible is that there's no one size fits all cookie cutter uh, description or depiction of a Hasidic Jew. Everybody can do whatever they feel is right. Some people will very stick very closely to the guidance of their local Orthodox rabbi. Some people make decisions more on their own, but there's no one standing over with you with a stick telling you how to live your life. And if you have someone standing over you with a stick telling you how to live your life, you should probably get out of wherever you are because you're not in a good place. One more question in that vein, and it's going to be about, you know, you said that the men and women a lot of times kind of live their lives separately the only experience I have in that particular area is like in Arab countries where everything is completely separate. So just how separate are we talking? Because I know in some very, very rigid, you know, Muslim communities, you know, what you said earlier that if your wife was here, that she, you know, I would, I would have her tell you exactly what she thought that wouldn't be allowed. And, and, you know, you, you wouldn't be allowed to speak to someone who's not part of your family that's a man from a woman. Is that the case here? Are you able to, I mean, is women able to have, you know, friendships with men or no? So uh, first of all, I've traveled very extensively in the Middle East. So I'm glad you asked me that question. I know people in Saudi Arabia and in United Arab Emirates and in Bahrain and other countries in the region who are very open-minded. You could talk to someone's wife. um, And then there are people who are, not so open-minded and you'll have the husband will dictate who the wife can or can't talk to. Um, I think in every religion, there are people who are very extreme and there are people who are more moderate. So however, in the Hasidic community, like my wife doesn't cover her face and I don't know anybody who does, Um, you know, in in the Middle East, you get a lot of people who like the wife will sort of not be seen outside ever. It's only the men go out um, I've been to places where there are separate men's and women's sections in a restaurant. Um, we don't have that in the Hasidic community. I mean, women go out and about, they go shopping, they, they go about their lives. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not at all like that. No, it's not like, it's not like people in the Middle East. So they are able to, I guess, have interactions with, with both sexes. So again, able to is a very relative term. It's, it's what a person decides to do. As a general rule, these things are frowned upon. It's not, it, we, the way we see it is that people will interact with people of other sexes when it's necessary. So if I walked into a store and this person behind the counter was a woman, and so obviously I would talk to her regarding whatever I needed to talk to her about for the sake of, of purchasing a product at the store, 
but the relationship will not continue past me giving her my credit card and, and taking it back. That's pretty much it. I say, thank you very much. Goodbye and have a good day. There are, obviously I have people who are business associates and people who I need to talk to because there's a, there's a reason for it, but just as a general rule, mingling with, uh, between the sexes is, is, is certainly not encouraged. And um, simply because we're, one of the most important things that we have is our family life. And we try to keep that very, very, um, that's basically the focus of what we're trying to do always. So I wouldn't want any distractions in my life. And I don't need to tell you how easy it is to get distracted when there's mingling between the sexes. So would, would this conversation be able to be allowed to happen if, if I was a female? Meaning if, if you were a podcast host and, and I was coming on the guest? Correct. I mean, I know, I know some people who would be very uncomfortable being in a conversation like that. Once again, there's no, there's no Jewish law prohibiting it. It's just certain people have their things that they're comfortable with. I would absolutely come on your podcast if you were a woman. Okay. Let, let's start talking okay. about, you know, I, I like to kind of mix in the, you know, the tougher topics with, uh, with some good ones, and then we'll go back to maybe some, some other things. But let's talk a little bit. Here's another word I may, I, I think this is my toughest word, and it's the Havarim organization. Havarim, yeah. I don't, I don't can have do the that. I don't believe I can. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I believe you can. It takes, it takes a lot of practice, but anybody, you want, you want to try one more time. All right. Give it to me one more time. Chaverim. Chaverim. That's better. Chaverim. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Okay. That was, that was like 80%. There we go. I'll take 80%. It, it's hard to say, but it's a really cool thing and, and doing some amazing things, you know, between the a roof that we were talking about. And then this video yeah. With Peter, these are the two things that just blew my mind completely. Sure. So, so uh, the word chaverim, or the word, the word is really chaver. Chaver means a friend in Hebrew. So, um, chaverim is like is numerous people, so it's friends. And the idea is that they are they basically are your friend in a time of need. So, if if anything happened, you got a flat tire, locked your keys in your car, your keys fell into a drain, or you got locked into a bathroom, or you needed groceries because you weren't feeling whatever. Basically, any favor that somebody can do for you, Javier will do it for you if they can. And they have hundreds of volunteers. It's really an amazing organization. It's being spread all over all over the, the United States and, and wherever Jewish communities, Orthodox Jewish communities are. It's interesting because when Peter's video came out, um, this concept of Javier made a lot of noise in the media. And then I was in Houston, Texas a couple of weeks ago, and I was at a synagogue and someone came up to me and said, can you get me in touch with those people from Haverim in New York? Because we want to start our own branch of Haverim in Texas. So I put the two parties in touch and there's actually just founded a Haverim organization in Texas. So I'm, I'm proud to say that I had some sort of hand in making this happen, even though I, it wasn't like I didn't actively do anything for it. But because because of the video, this, this organization was founded in Texas. So, so I'm very happy with that. And it's just spreading love and kindness and uh, good vibes all over, all over America. Right. So, and, and just to kind of touch again with the video and what I learned, it really is just a group of volunteers that are you know, helping people do all kinds of things. They talked about how they had generators to help people who were, you know, on home, home issues when they, um, you know, when the lights go out or opening the car, all kinds of things and just completely free of charge. And if I remember correct, it kind of serves the entire community. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone within um, the Hasidic community. Is that right? 
Correct. Uh, when I was there, they told me that anybody who calls their hotline will be helped. No, that's that's really, really awesome for sure. The the next question is about technology. You talked about how, you know, definitely on the Sabbath, you're not using your phone, but there's a, there's a lot of people who don't really interact with, with technology very much at all. You know, in, in that research too, I think that, you know, the rabbis got together at one point and even filled Yankee Stadium talking about technology. So tell us a little about, um, you know, your, your uh, religion's views on technology and your relationship with technology. Um, technology is a tool that can be used for good and can be used for bad. I think anybody with, with half a brain understands that it's, technology in itself is not inherently good or inherently bad. It's just a tool. It's just like a car, right? You can drive your car to a supermarket to buy food for an old lady who lives down your block who's, who's stuck in a wheelchair, or you can drive your car through a mall and kill 100 people. It's really, it's just a tool, and it really depends how you use it. The rabbis, many rabbis, did come out a few years ago, and, and in general, there was a movement against TVs back in the 50s or 60s, whenever TVs became popular. And then again, with the internet and computers and smartphones, there is a movement of people who say, we do not want to use this technology. We don't trust ourselves. Um, I don't need to tell you the internet is a very, very, um, what can I say? There's, there's, there's a lot of different ways the internet can go. The internet is used in many ways for good and in many ways for bad. Um, we are a community based on family values it's no secret that a very high percentage of internet usage is for pornography and other things which completely conflict our family values. So there are a lot of people who want to stay off technology because they feel that their lives would be safer, simpler, and purer without technology. However, on the other end, um, technology also harnesses this amazing power to meet and connect with new people, to spread ideas, transfer information, uh, to do kindness, to, to, to make the world a better place. So everybody really has to make a decision for themselves how much or how much not to embrace technology. Um, as a general rule, most or almost all Hasidic families do not have TVs. Um, they, we all have internet with filters, meaning that if I wanted to visit a, a porn site on my phone, it would be blocked. I can't go there. My wife has the password to my filter. Only she can open it up and vice versa. I have the password to her filter. Um, and children will not have smartphones as a general rule. They won't use the internet without their parents' supervision. You know, a lot of people in the progressive free thinking world like to say that we're suppressed or we're, or we're being censored. Um, we're doing it to ourselves. We're trying to, to preserve a very pure form of Judaism that we do not want to be tainted by, by evil forces from the outside. And just trying to, I guess, a terrible, terrible term when we're talking about, you know, religion, but just to play, I guess, devil's advocate with this is we, we, we talked, you, you talked about when, when it, you know, relationships and, and talking with women, and then also with technology, you kind of brought up that we don't necessarily trust ourselves with this or, you know, there's temptations. So what do you say to someone who would say, you know, that's about self-restraint and not necessarily about completely distancing yourself rather than having to completely separate or put filters on. It's just about learning self-restraint and things like that. Sure. So I can hear that argument. Um, the Talmud, which is a 
commentary on the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the Torah. Uh, the Talmud was written in ancient Babylon about a little bit less than 2,000 years ago. And the Talmud says regarding this specific issue of self-restraint, it says, do not trust yourself until the day you die. I've seen massive corporations fall because there was an affair between a CEO and, uh, and an intern. Um, we've seen governments fall because of this thing. People in the highest places have not been able to control themselves. So when the Talmud says, don't trust yourself till the day you die, they weren't kidding. They understood that the temptation between, uh, of mingling between sexes and, and um, shall we say, inappropriate relationships, then the, the temptation is very, very strong. And um, I mean, I can't trust myself. Maybe you can, but I, I, I would submit to the Talmud and say, you know what, guys, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it is an it is an interesting thing for sure, and I think that's what what makes people interested in it because it's it's very different than most of the you know the country and the world lives. So I think that's why there's there's interest there. Um, something sure. else that you you know you you mentioned in you know in our conversation today is several times you were like you know I don't necessarily know why it's that way. You know that's. I'm not a rabbi yet. That's kind of with rabbis. So it's kind of a twofold. One would be, I guess, how closely does most people, and, and I realize that everyone does their own thing to an extent, but how closely does people listen to the rabbi, rabbis rather than you know what their individual beliefs are? Is, it, is there a lot of, well, the rabbi said that's the way it is, so that's the way it is. And then on the other side of things, you know, playing that devil's advocate again, it's hard I, hearing, you know, I don't know why it is the way it is. That's just the way it is, because that's very different than, you know, most most Americans live where if it don't make sense to us, if we don't believe it, then we don't do it. And I think it does take, you know, you talked about self-restraint, but I think it does take some self-restraint to not always understand why you're doing things you're doing, but doing it because that's the way that it is. Um, so I threw a lot into that question, but, it, but hopefully you can kind of disseminate a, an answer out of it. Sure. So there are reasons for everything. I need to remind you that we have 613 commandments in the Torah. That's a lot of stuff to memorize, a lot of, a lot of rules, a lot of guidelines. So I've studied the Torah many times, but it's a very, very deep, deep book. There's a lot of stuff that can take many, many years to get to. So you're born into this religion, expected to follow it. You're not necessarily going to understand everything unless you really pursue studying it with like all day, every day. So, it, in the, so basically, if I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen to a podcast for two hours today, there went two hours of, of time that I could have spent studying to better understand my religion. I don't have to understand everything, but I do understand that there's something called faith. Faith is where you basically say, listen, there's this higher power and I'm submitting to that. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm, I'm a goat, you know, following a shepherd blindly, just like doing whatever it is. I like to know the reasons for what I'm doing things, but when I haven't yet gotten the time or taken the interest to be quite honest and studying a certain part of my religion, I won't disregard that part because I don't understand it. I'll simply say this. I believe in God. I believe this is what he wants me to do and I'll do it. And one day I'll get around to studying it and then I'll figure it out. And then I'll know exactly why I'm doing it. So I want to ask you, one, how exactly, you know, the, the Peter Santanello episodes happened? Because that's the reason why we're talking. So how exactly did, did those happen? And then two, 
um, you know, what exactly does the future hold for you? Okay, so I can answer, I'll answer the, the second question first. I, I don't think anybody knows what the future holds for them. Um, if you were to ask me what, where I hope to be in a year from now, what should I say? I hope that I'm 60 pounds skinnier. And I hope <laughs> that I have over 100,000 YouTube subscribers. Um, but these are, um, shall I say, external aesthetic um, goals that don't really mean much. I mean, I, I'm, I think being fit is good for health, so that, that could be important. But the, the amount of subscribers, whatever, doesn't really... It, it, sort of, it kind of feels nice every time you, you hit that milestone, but it doesn't really mean anything per se. Every person who is, who is consuming the content that I create is, is a blessing and I appreciate it and, and um, it means a lot to me. Um, there is, again, no way of knowing what's going to happen, but what I'm trying to do basically is to build bridges between my community and other communities. I want to understand other communities and I want to help my community be understood. Um, which is why I did this thing with Peter Santanello. It really wasn't, it wasn't like I, I planned it or in any way. I just was casually scrolling through Instagram. I saw an Instagram story from Peter Santanello, who I'd been following for a while. And he writes something like, I'll be in New York City. Anyone have any video ideas? And I was thinking, you know what? I guess I'll invite him to see the community. And I sent off a DM and within like an hour or two, he responded and he said, I would love to do that. He came, we set a date. He came one day, we filmed I, what we thought was going to be one video, but he had so much good content that he turned it into three videos. Went back to California where he lived at that point in now lives in Florida. And after a couple of weeks, the videos had taken off. I, I called Peter back. I said, like, these videos have millions of views. You'd be crazy to not come back and film more. So he came back for another week. We filmed an additional like 11 episodes and boom, the rest is history. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, those videos are really, really cool. Definitely recommend people checking those out. So I, I want to end when asking you exactly how people can connect. But you know, I was I cut this question just because you know I'm trying to 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 be cognizant of your time. But I I do want to ask you one additional question before that because I think it is kind of important for you know be respectful of you and your time. And then also just respectful to the listeners who I think that a lot of them probably only know of Hasidic Judaism um, from, you know, Netflix things and, and non-positive. Oh, that's very like, unfortunate. Yeah. Unorth like unorthodox and one of us and things like that. So I do want you to be able to, I guess, respond to those. I think that's only fair. Sure. So I, I have not seen unorthodox. Um, I did watch one of us and um, that's the so only one I've watched too. So we're together. <laughs> okay. So, so one of us um, I believe was, was um, filmed with uh, two or three people who had left the community. I think they were very disgruntled. I don't remember all the details. It was a couple of years ago and it basically portrayed this religion that everyone's trying to get out of, which there definitely are some people who are trying to get out. And I, I, I I'm not, in any way discounting these people's struggles or their stories. Um, I believe some of these people were abused and whatever. I, I don't envy their lives. I don't envy them in any, any way, shape or form. I, I feel terrible for them and I hope they find happiness wherever they are. Um, that's the one I watched. As for Unorthodox, I know a lot about it, but I haven't watched it. There's also a, a story of a woman who left the community. Um, she had a, not a good family story. Like she wasn't living with her parents. She was living with her grandparents. who I believe were Holocaust survivors. She was, uh, sexually assaulted. All sorts of terrible things happened to her. 
And I cannot and will not discount her story. This is her story. She owns it and she has every right to tell it. However, my problem with all of this, and, and I guess this is my plea to the outside world, to Hollywood, etc., is that you're looking for a good story. At the end of the day, everybody wants to make money. Everyone wants to, you know, to, to hopefully to reach and shake up an audience. I think that's, that's what makes a successful picture, a successful movie, is when you're really able to, to get into someone's soul. I believe they did a very, I don't like to say good job because it made my community look terrible, but if they wanted to shake people up with a Hasidic drama, then they certainly did so. And that's fine. But the problem is that they, I'm not sure if they're, uh, if they know this or not, I'm assuming may, that by, the, by now they know this, when you portray a community in a certain way, and the only media that people can find about that community is negative, what happens is people who don't know anyone from that community, which is most of the world, mm-hmm. sees that community in a negative way, which contributes to anti-Semitism. We have people literally being beaten on the streets of Brooklyn. This has happened many times this year. Unprovoked attacks against people who look like Hasidic Jews. So what I'm saying, and I'm no way a representative of the community. I'm just a member of the community who pointed a camera at my face and decided to go out there and tackle this on my own. But no one's paying me to do this. It's just simply I'm trying to spread the message that we are human beings. We are all unique. Do not put me in a box. Do not put, do not put me in a cookie cutter. I am, I am my own person. My wife is her own person. My children are their own people. My friends, everyone's their own people. We're part of a collective community. We're all different. And when you come out with a show about the Hasidic community, I think there's been plenty of negative coverage. It's time to show people who are joining the community and not leaving because there are many people like that. And it's time to show people who are living in the community happily. I am happy to say that I'm in touch with five different production companies in Hollywood. They've all reached out to me because they also believe that it's time to show a different aspect of people who are living happily within the community no contracts have been signed yet. Nothing is set in stone. But I do believe that in the very near future, Hollywood is going to be hit with a gigantic explosion of Hasidic content that will be fair and balanced, including people who are actively part of the community, not people who are leaving. And um, I just hope that this will help us repair damaged relationships and, and build bridges with, with the world. That was very well said. You know, my my thought with that is, you know, I obviously I know very little about the community. That's why we're, we're speaking. But what I can tell you is in if you want to find, you know, domestic abuse or or parents, you know, kind of outcasting their their kids, that's you can find that in every single community. That's not that's not uh, you know, exclusive to to the Hasidic community for sure. And that's kind of what some of those portrayed. Now, whether that is a, a common theme, that's what I myself don't know. Um, and that's, that's kind of is a disservice when it comes to some of those, those videos and uh, Netflix series. Um, you know, the only thing I can always say is just a balanced approach. If you watch those do check out, you know, Peter's videos or some things like that, cause it does show a positive approach, you know, as someone who is soon marrying someone that is, is Asian, I know all about just the way somebody looks you know, be some be getting discriminated against, and that's that's not fair to anyone. So I do think that uh, you know this conversation has been a, a a really 
productive one. It's been helpful. You, you let me struggle through some of those, those words. And I learned a, a ton. You know, I think that people will listen to this and some people will, will get a, a better perspective. Some people will listen and, and not, but, but I, I do think that I've learned a lot and I really appreciate it. Well, Jax, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed this conversation. Also, I did not know you were getting married. Congrats on that. And I hope you have many happy, healthy, wealthy, and beautiful years together. And um, yeah, I think what you're doing is, is quite frankly, holy work. You're trying to, to also bridge the divide between people, help people understand each other. We need more Jackson Hoffs in the world. That's going to make this universe a better place. Well, as much as I want to end on that, I want to end on you telling us how people can connect with you. And that's a totally different thing to me, just because, you know, we did talk about, you know, I guess, separation. So I don't know whether, you know, you're open to connection with both men and women, but how can people connect with you? So I am open to connection with anybody who is interested in connecting with me in a very healthy, appropriate, ascetic approach to this. So anybody who, who calls me, texts me, um, emails me, etc. I, I try to get back to every single message. It's not easy because quite frankly, um, the past few months have been very, very busy, but I try my best. Yeah, I'm open to talking to anybody who's interested in talking. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Um, my name is Shlomo Zions, first and last name. On Instagram, it's at Chusidel, that's C-H-U-S-I-D-E-L. On Twitter, it's also Chusidel, that's C-H-U-S-I-D-E-L. YouTube is Shlomo Zions. We have 25,000 subscribers and growing. Um, I'm starting a second podcast very soon. And uh, my website is going to be up and running as well. There are books coming, hopefully movies and TV shows. Sky's the limit. But I, I look forward to hearing and connecting with anybody, uh, hearing from and connecting with anybody who was interested in talking to me. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. It's been, it's been great. Thank you so, so much. And have a great and blessed day. And that was my interview with Slomi Zions. Hope you enjoyed that. I definitely enjoyed just hearing about a totally different culture living right in New York City. And it was just a pleasure to speak with him. As he talked about, a lot of Hasidic Jews are, are kind of closed off because they're a little afraid of, of the outside world and, and some of the anti-Semitics that have happened. So just to hear uh, is uh, you know about Hasidic Jews, it's just a really interesting experience. And I'm I'm really uh, can't thank him enough for that do check him out check out all of the links that he just described his youtube his his um instagram all of that um again this was just a something to to present i think there's good and bad in in every single religion even my own for sure so not uh, not an endorsement and not a slam just presenting you with a very interesting uh, interesting take on the world so hope you enjoyed it uh, again check him out check us out on instagram not enough podcast jacksonf.com like follow give us uh, a rating on apple podcast always appreciate that without um, saying much more have a great week we'll see you next time take it away chris this has been not in a huff with jackson huff thank you for listening be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.